Good morning, everyone. It's so great to be together. My name is Al. I'm one of the um, elders at Gateway, and it's my privilege to lead the, the site here um, in the east. I just want to say a very warm welcome uh, to you uh, if you're visiting us. So in two weeks' time, we are going to be kicking off a, a preaching series uh, in the book of Haggai. Uh, we're looking at that over the autumn term, but we've just got a two-week window uh, where it's just my privilege just to come and bring something uh, from the life of David, the Old Testament character of David. Um, and I love what Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, says about David. He said, David's was a great life, a vigorous life, a life spent in many positions and conditions. It was not a faultless life. Its failings and errors are instructive. It is a life of a man after God's own heart who went astray and was recovered by the great shepherd. Each of us may find something like himself in the long and eventful life of David. And so over these two weeks, we're going to be particularly looking at the book of Occur in the book of 1 Samuel. And they, they framed around a particular key word, uh, which in the Hebrew is kazak or hazak. Uh, my pronunciation is probably terrible if anybody speaks Hebrew in the room. But what that means is it means to strengthen, to prevail, to be strong, to be courageous, to be firm, be, to be resolute. And over these two weeks, we're going to be looking at, in these two particular stories, how David strengthened himself in God and how David was strengthened in God by his dear friend, Jonathan. And so this week's about how do we find strength in God, and next week is about how do we find strength in God through friends and family who point us and lift us up in moments of challenge. So if you brought a Bible with you, um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 30. It's going to be on the screen. Um, if you would like a Bible and you haven't got one with you, um, any of the stewards still in the room? I don't think they are. There are some Bibles just on that radiator there. Please do help yourself. Um, and if you haven't got a Bible at home, take one with you. It's our gift to you. So we're in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 30. It says this, Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burnt it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar, the, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, sorry, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Besor, where, they were, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. 
And the story goes on um, of David and his men encountering an Egyptian on the road who says, yes, I know where, you, where your wives and children were taken. And David pursues after the Amalekites and, and wins the victory over them and recovers um, their family that was stolen from them and the goods that were stolen from them. Now, to understand David's response in this story, we need to really first try to understand the situation that he finds himself in. So David and his 600 men who had gone out uh, to war with the Philistines, we'll come back to that in a, in a few moments' time, they came back to the city they dwelled in to find it had been raided and burnt to the ground by Israel's enemies, the Amalekites. Destroyed, nothing left, on fire, in pieces, utter destruction. And as part of that, they find that their wives and their children have been taken off into captivity by the Amalekites. To, at this point, they don't know where to. They have no idea where the Amalekites could have got to. They have no idea where their wives and their children are. No wonder it says in verse 4, they wept until they had no more strength to weep. These are hardened men of war. These are hardened soldiers who have seen war and blood and death on their knees, broken, crushed, despairing, seeming without hope and having no more strength to weep. But worse still, David's own men, David's 600 faithful men who had been with him in the battle, who had been with him on the run from King Saul, turn on him and say, we're going to stone this man. Can you imagine the mob mentality that might have started when one man says, it's his fault. It's David's fault we're in this mess. He led, us to, he led us to the Philistines. It's his fault that our wives and children have been captured. And someone else said, yeah, I agree. It's that bloke's fault. Why on earth did we follow him? And then someone else says, should we stone him? And the conversation goes on and on until there's almost like a riot saying, we're going to stone this man who is our leader. He's led us to this place. And for David, who had experienced many trials and tribulations, this is a low point. This is a low point. And it says he was greatly distressed. That's probably the understatement of the year. His city has been burnt to the ground. His wives and his children have disappeared. And now he has 600 men of war paying for his blood. He is not in a good situation. But to really understand what's happening here, we also need to go back a little bit in the story and understand how David had come to this situation. And first we need to recognize that part of what is going on here is that 27, he is, he is tired of running away from King Saul. He's had enough. And he, this is David, who, whose life is spent modeled on intimacy and following God and leaning into him, in a rash moment, he decides to go and join the Philistine army. If you remember, who are God's enemies. Who are the enemies of God's people. You know, you only have to go back to David and Goliath to see David, an Israelite, killing Goliath, a Philistine. And David goes and sides himself with the Philistines. And he fights battles for them. And in fact, in chapter 29, David is about to go to war for the Philistines against the Israelites. And so David, in this moment, 
is actually finding himself almost set up against his own people. And I believe added to David's stress and anguish was this knowledge and this severity that he had made a terrible error and that he had made a decision that was opposite to what God would have wanted him to do. And he knew that he had sided with the enemy of God's people. And I would imagine that he felt a sense of shame about what he'd done, about where he found himself. That maybe he did blame himself. Maybe he thought, I caused this. Maybe he finds himself in a position of guilt and shame as he stood there thinking, if I hadn't done that, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Oh, if I'd have inquired of the Lord. And secondly, we need to understand that David is meant to be the king of Israel by this point in his mind. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, you see Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. And David was probably 10 or 15 years old at that point. This is some 15 to 20 years on. And David's life has not turned out how he expected it to turn out. By this point, I imagined he thought he would be king, yet he's found himself pretty much on the run for 15 to 20 years. The promise at this point remains unfulfilled. And so we can understand maybe some of the, the psychology, some of the pain, some of the anguish that David would have felt in this moment, but also over the many years that Saul has tried to pursue him and kill him, and he's had to hide, and he's had to be on the run, but he lives with this unfulfilled promise that he's going to be king of Israel. And to summarize it like this, Saul had driven David from his country. The Philistines had driven David from their camp. The Amalekites had destroyed his city. His wives and children taken prisoners, and he was forsaken by his friends. Life is quite tough for David right now. And friends, I don't know each of your own individual circumstances. I don't know what's happening in life right now. For some of you, life may be going well. For some, life may be going well, that you might be swimming along. Things are good in your court. Things are healthy and strong, and you're feeling in a, in a strong place in life. But for many in this room, there will be battles you are fighting, challenges you are facing, promises in your life that remain unfulfilled. Maybe that's in your own walk with Jesus. Maybe that's within your dreams. Maybe that's in your family, in your workplace. Maybe that's with your health. Maybe that's in your financial situation. You might be dreading going to the office tomorrow morning. You might be fearful of going to school tomorrow. You might be anxious about how the bills are going to be paid. You might be contending for your family in a tough season. And for some of you, you may be facing challenges because you feel like you've made some bad choices. And you feel a sense of shame. And you feel a sense of guilt. And you feel a sense of, oh, if I only hadn't have done this, Maybe you've wandered into situations without the guidance of God, like David did when he joined the Philistines, and you feel like running away from God. But we have much to learn from David's response. Whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever you've done this week, or whatever is going on in life, we have much to learn from how David responded. David faced with this giant situation. He's in, a, he's in a mess right now. He doesn't know what to do. But verse 6 says this, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
Or as the message puts it, David strengthened himself with trust in his God. David didn't lean on his own understanding or his own wisdom or his own experience. He didn't go back to his CV and think, oh, where did I do this before? He didn't try to reason with his friends and say, friends, friends, I know this looks bad, but we've been faithful together. Come on, let's, fight, let's go and fight the Amalekites together. He didn't adopt a DIY approach. Fix it yourself. Lean into yourself. He ran to the Lord God and found himself strengthened there, knowing that God was his rock, his fortress, his provider, his protector, and his deliverer. And we don't exactly know what happened as David strengthened himself as God, but can you imagine just in that moment, he's, as he's facing this dilemma and he runs to, to God and he finds strength there, can you imagine what happened as he ran towards God? Maybe he was suddenly taken and reflected to who God is. And he, and he reminds himself that God is gracious and merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Maybe he, he's reminded of God's promises in his life. Yes, God has promised that I will be king of Israel one day. Or maybe he's reminded of God's deliverance in his life over and over and over again. And suddenly he finds strength in God. Maybe he reflected on being led beside quiet waters. Maybe he's reminded of the victory God gave him over Goliath. Maybe he's reminded that the Bible says that God was with him. As he does that, he's strengthened in the Lord, his God. He knew over and over again from his life, as he was on the run from Saul, that he'd found strength in God before, and his default position is to run into the loving embrace of his God and find strength there. And my prayer for each one of us today is that we would look nowhere but God for strength and wisdom and trust. Do you know what? I have to remind myself of this over and over again to run towards him, particularly as I'm in my role, as I lead this community, as I lead a church. I have to remind myself over and over again to go and strengthen myself in God and not to say, I can sort this out myself, thanks. I can lean into my own wisdom into my own understanding. No, I've got to learn over and over and over again to strengthen myself in the Lord my God. And your circumstance, your context will be different to mine. Your challenge will be different to mine. Your challenge will be different to your challenge. Your context will be different to your context. But the message is the same. Run to the Lord and find strength in him. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's what we can learn from David in this moment. Don't wait for the crisis and think, then I'll do it. Don't wait for the bad moment of life and then think, then I'll run to the loving embrace of God. Learn it over and over and over again. And when the storms of life come, you'll know what it looks like to run into the embrace of God. Because the reality is, for each of us, storms will come in life. We will face battles and challenges and situations. And, and we need to learn what it looks like in that daily discipline of going towards him, running towards him and finding strength in him. And when the storms come, where are we going to go? We're going to run to him. David didn't just learn to strengthen himself in God when his wives were taken captive. This was a lifetime long of learning when he was a shepherd boy and he relied on the Lord his God for protection. When he won the battle, 
that you should come against the Lord God. He knew God, and then later it says God was with him. And it talks about David inquiring of the Lord over and over and over again. And we know that David wasn't faultless. We've just looked at it in chapter 27. He runs to the Philistines in a moment of weakness, in a moment where he is, he's, he's not inquiring of the Lord. David's not faultless, but David has learned a life of dependency and trust and strengthening himself in the Lord his God, in the good moments and in the hard moments. And there might be some here who you feel, like I said, maybe you feel like David. Maybe you feel like some of your circumstances are because you made a choice like this. And actually, you need to follow the example of David, that in his weakest moment, we see him at his best. In his most darkest moment of sorrow and pain and his lowest ebb, we see the best of David, which is running to the arms of God. Not hiding, not thinking, am I worthy, but running towards him and saying, I'm going to find my strength in him and him alone. No matter who you are or where you have come from or what you have done, his grace is enough for you. His grace is sufficient for you. Run into the loving embrace of the Father. Go to Luke chapter 15 and read the prodigal son. And and this guy was in a mess. And he runs to the Father. And the Father runs to him and he says, My son, welcome home. And he clothes him in righteousness. He clothes him. He gives him the best. He throws the best party. That's the kind of Father that we have when you run to him and find strength in him. Strengthen yourself in the Lord your God today. What does that look like when you go home? What does that look like tomorrow morning when you get up for work or you head off to school or you're with your neighbor? What does it look like in the storms of life and the good moments? It's very simple to say, and it's very hard to live out in the long haul. And there's two things particularly that I just want to pick up today, and there's something else that we're going to pick up next week. The first is this, look in the Word of God. If you want to know where and how to find strength in moments of, of challenge and in the battles you're facing, look in the Word of God. This book, the words of God himself, will re- bring life to your soul. It will revive you. It reveals God's plans and purposes. It guides us in truth. It reveals the nature of God and who he is. It reveals Jesus and the work of him on the cross. Look in this book, friends. And maybe for some of you, maybe it's grown a bit dusty. This book's grown a bit dusty on your shelf. And it hasn't been open for a while. I want to encourage you, friends, look in here and strengthen yourself in the Lord your God through the word of God himself. And as you meditate on this book and learn to get hold of it, you'll find that truth will start coming to your mind. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to say that he who watches over you neither slumbers nor sleeps. Or maybe you'll think about Psalm 125, which says, as the Lord watches over um, Jerusalem, as the Lord surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And it also says, um, he who trusts in the Lord is like Mount Zion, who abides forever and cannot be shaken. Or maybe you'll be drawn to Isaiah 40. They who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. 
They'll rise up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint. You see, get the word of God in you and you find this isn't an empty emotional response. This is the truth about God and who he is. It sinks into your soul and it strengthens and it revives you. So look in the word of God. But do you know what? As you look in, it will cause you to look up. I just love what Becky brought this morning from Revelation 4 and 5. Talk about helping us to look up. Do you know what? The Bible, the story we're living in, is not primarily about you or primarily about me. It's primarily about him. That's the story that we're living in. That's the story that we've been invited to participate into. And we need to remind ourselves and remind one another to look up and behold and see the glory of God and his majesty. Our culture will tell us to look in, to find strength. God tells us to look up. Don't look in, friends. Look up. Look up and see him and marvel at him because he is reigning and ruling. And he is sovereign and he's holy and he's majestic and he's powerful and he's faithful. And he's the Alpha and the Omega. And he welcomes sinners like you and me. And he's with you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's fighting your battles for you. And he will never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. And he'll never fail you. (laughs) If there's one thing that I'll never grow tired of preaching on, it's this. Behold the majesty of God. Look up and see him. If that's one thing that that we get over years of journeying together, it's this. Look up and see him. Look up and see him and find strength as you wait and lean into him. And my encouragement is this to us today. When you're tempted to go alone, when you're tempted to look in to find the answer, look in and look up. Be like David that says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. And you can apply your name into that, but Al strengthened himself in the Lord. And you can insert your own name into that. Go home and think, but today, strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Look in the word of God and look up and see him. Be those who run to him and lean not on your own understanding. And find as strength rises in you. Not an empty emotional response, but a truth about who he is and who you are in him. Can I just invite you, friends, just to stand? I want to just, I want to just respond this morning. Susie, I just... I wonder if you might just, if you're comfortable, just close your eyes or hold your hands out. Whatever helps you to fix your gaze upon him. I really just want to pray over us this morning. And just allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak into your context and your circumstance. Right now, just reflect and, and consider your own circumstances, the own things that you're wrestling with. And maybe this is a moment to say, God, I want to look in and look up and strengthen myself in the Lord my God. I'm just going to have a moment. I just want to be quiet for a couple of moments. I just want to allow you, just as Susie plays, just to, just to come before God for yourself. There is no barrier if you're in Jesus Christ between you and him. You can run to him today. 
And maybe just for yourself, just pray, God, would you strengthen me today? encourage you just keep doing business with God we aren't always used to quiet moments in our context but you have free access to the, to the Father today through the Son He knows you and He sees you He loves you earlier in the week I was um, just really felt like as I was preparing for this that God impressioned on my heart to pray and to minister to those of you who have come here fearful today. And fear can be because of all sorts of situations. Sometimes fear is irrational. Sometimes it's because of the circumstances that you find yourself in. And as I was just thinking about that, I was reminded of a quite superb talk that I heard at New Day, the youth camp that we go to, by a guy called Andrew Wilson, and he was talking about Jesus walking on the water. I just want to read a bit of this, and I, I would love if you're coming here today and you know that there is fear. Maybe it's fear about going to work tomorrow. Maybe it's fear for situations that you find yourself in. That we want to pray for you this morning and bless you. So his disciples are, Jesus' disciples are in a boat. It says this, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, about three o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and he said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And that translation, actually, he says, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. In, in whatever situation you find yourself, there's fear about what's to come. I want to speak those words over you this morning. Take heart. Jesus says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The storms may come. You might be in a storm. But take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I'd just love to encourage. We're going we're gonna to finish now. But I just want to, you are so welcome just to stand and be before God. Susie, Susie, just happy to carry on playing. I would love to encourage you, if you want to respond to God this morning, please do come to the front. We have a team of people who we've trained to pray for you that we'd love to um, just pray with and for you this morning. But strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Delight yourself in Him. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. <laughs>